1: 1742, the 2nd of June, 1994. An RAF Chinook helicopter leaves from Aldergrove. On board, 25 key intelligence officers, members of the RUC, MI5 and the Army, as well as four crewmen. Its destination, Inverness, in the highlands of Scotland. But it never made it. Just 18 minutes after takeoff, the helicopter ploughs into the mullet entire thick fog. Everyone on board is killed instantly. Massive blow for the security forces.
0: On board was the head of the IUC Special Branch, officers from the SAS and from MI5. Their deaths are being viewed as the most devastating blow ever to the security services.
1: The RAF blamed the pilots, but they were eventually cleared. So why did it crash? Was there a cover-up? And why was the cream of the intelligence community travelling in a single helicopter? An aircraft many in the RAF had concerns over. Travel arrangements for such key figures are now being reviewed. All 29 men were together in the Chinook helicopter as it headed for a top-level intelligence conference. Questions are being asked why they were not split up. To tell this story, I'm joined by Belfast Telegraph reporter Andrew Madden. Andrew, welcome to the Town.
2: Thanks for having me. What exactly happened? Where can we start? Well, I think it's important to kind of uh, help set the scene. So this was June 1994. So about eight months previously, you had uh, the Schenkel bomb. Um, and after that, there was the Grey Steel massacre. But it was also a time where Northern Ireland did seem to be on the brink in terms of violence. But there were also murmurings in the background of, you know, moves towards peace going, ha- happening behind the scenes. That there could be potentially maybe be a, um, an IRA ceasefire. But it was a time of great uncertainty. Um But few held out hope that the Troubles could be reaching their their final chapter. But at the time there was various intelligence and security agencies. Working in Northern Ireland you had MI5, you had Army Intelligence, uh, you had the RUC. And there was a lot of button heads, there was a lot of rivalry, there were a lot of disagreements. Um, So it was decided essentially to get the, the cream of the crop, the most senior intelligence officers, get them all together in one place away from Northern Ireland we'll have a summit so they're having a summit in this place called Fort George uh, near Inverness in Scotland and the idea was to get them all around the table iron out any differences bang their heads together talk about you know how they're going to continue to tackle the ongoing security situation in Northern Ireland so they all got on board um, a Chinook and they were on their way to Fort George when as you say when they crashed um, into Hillside in the Mull of Kintyre
1: The treacherous Kintyre coast where the cream of Northern Ireland's intelligence community perished. Burned black and twisted, the heather-clad slopes where the Chinook crashed with no warning, no mayday. The first pictures of the crash site show how little was left of the helicopter, just fragments in burned scrub and charred pieces of fuselage trim. This story is about a helicopter, really. It is um, yeah. in, in many respects, and I think I just want to point out to younger people mm-hmm. that Chinook is a is a twin rotor uh, military aircraft helicopter. Yep. But at this time, the troubles were still ongoing, and there had been a major flare up in, in the early nineties, as you
2: said. You had been, a lot for tat violence. Going
1: on. Uh, and but in this period, and for those of us who remember when. You looked up, there was a helicopter in the sky. There was a major helicopter base at Aldergrove. Mm-hmm. there was a major helicopter base in, in South Armagh and Bestbrook and in other places and, and, and the British Army
2: Yeah, they were was, frequently used, yeah.
1: Uh, uh, was yeah. ferried about places like f- South Armagh and other places. Yeah. They didn't use the roads, they were in helicopters. Exactly and the this is a Massive Infrastructure. So the the, the Chinooks, a heli- heavy lift helicopter, and would have tr- moved troops from one place to the other. Yeah. The, the 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 danger from the IRA, from roadside bombs mm-hmm. and etc., was such that the British Army were helicopter based
2: very much, so, especially in areas like like South Armagh, which was deemed you know the most dangerous place in the world for uh, British soldiers. So they didn't use the roads at all for the army. So they ferried them in in uh, helicopters like the Chinook, which was a war horse. The Mark I Chinook had been used in Vietnam and could carry upwards of 50 people. This Chinook Zulu Delta 576, mm-hmm. um, as I said,
1: it, it was 1742, the 2nd of June, 1994. And this RAF Chinook ch- took, took off Carrying 25 intelligence experts yeah. and four members of the crew. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this is extraordinary because I've been speaking to younger people and they don't, re- you know, um, really remember this, but this is 29 people lost their lives in this incident. Mm-hmm. This is
2: one of the bloodiest days of the Troubles. Very much so, yeah. But it seems to be kind of fly under the radar. You know, you talk about um, things like Warren Point, like Dublin Monaghan. But this you know had you know a similar scale um in terms of the lives lost. Um but it was very different in one respect in terms of who it was um that died on board that day. So who was on board? Well essentially we had four crewmen, uh, two experienced pilots, all special forces, so very, very well trained and experienced. And the twenty five people were the essentially the top echelon of the uh intelligence community uh for northern ireland so you had members of mi5 including the head of mi5 in northern ireland john deverell you had army intelligence officers and you had senior ruc men Uh, the most senior ruc officer to die on board was a man named brian fitzsimmons who was the head of the RUC special branch
1: 53 year old assistant chief constable brian fitzsimmons was the top man head of the special branch here he was traveling with key information related to ira and loyalist terrorists he played a major part in the Brighton bombing investigation and the Gibraltar Three case. He was also the link pin between the IUC, Scotland Yard, Interpol, and the FBI when it came to intelligence.
2: You also had Aid Phoenix, who was the head of Special Banks's, uh E4A uh, unit, which is an intelligence gathering unit. Um, so these were some of the, the yeah the top most senior officers uh, working in intelligence. People that would have made the key decisions in the fight against terrorism in Northern Ireland.
1: And this was obviously a huge blow. It means it's a, it's a huge number of people. So of in terms of the security forces setting people's families aside, et cetera, this is a huge blow because obviously these people, a lot of what they know is in their
2: heads. Very much so. I mean, a lot of them are walking encyclopedias in terms of intelligence in Northern Ireland and do de- use them all in one fell swoop. Um, it's unprecedented and it left a lot of people panicking, um, especially at the top levels of government. And um, I think it's 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 fair to say that it was a... A big setback, a big uh, bump in the road in terms of uh, the fight against um, against paramilitaries at the time. And to have, it was very strange as well, to have all these officers on board the one aircraft at one time. Um, because in case, if anything did go wrong, something like this would happen.
1: And helicopters are intrinsically more dangerous of course than, are, than, yeah. than a fixed wing craft. Mm-hmm. The Chinook... I mean, it's, it's a twin rotor. It, you know, it's a very complicated machine. Very much so. Uh, Zulu Delta 576. It yeah. was, a, was a Mark II. It
2: was a Mark II, yeah. So there was a, the, the Mark I had been used since Vietnam and it was very reliable. Um, it was flown around the world um, and it was known for being reliable, for being, uh, you know, a war horse. And then, essentially, they were working on a new and improved version of this called the Mark II. Um, Which was supposed to be obviously um, even better, you know, more modern, uh, new flight systems, computers, and all on board. But it quickly uh, gained a reputation of being had its flaws, had uh, problems with the computer system, other problems um, with the systems on board, and it was known for not being reliable. This aircraft was a Chinook Mark II, Mm -hmm. specific aircraft.
1: Is it that it was created, designed, and built as a Mark II, or is this a Mark I which has been? remanufactured, because I do note in, in some of the accounts that this, this aircraft was, was re-delivered. Yeah, uh, as a Mark II. So, 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 yeah.
2: Do we know? So, it kind of had this was the Mark One, but had a revamp. So, it had it's kind of like a major upgrades essentially to the Mark One. Yeah.
1: So, it w- certainly wasn't a brand new aircraft. Now, no. this this aircraft in question had an, a a number of problems, including on the tenth of May, nineteen ninety four. Post flight fault inspection revealed a dislocated mounting bracket, uh, which caused the collective lever to have restricted and restrictive movement. I have no idea what that means, but it,
2: but. Well, essentially, it, would,
1: it wouldn't inspire me with confidence.
2: It would not at all. You know, if you have to make um, an evasive manoeuvre on a helicopter, such as if you're coming up to a mountain, you would need to rely on having swift and proper movement of your helicopter. There are also other problems as well. The onboard computer, you know, serious fault signals were being sent out and when there's warnings, when there wasn't really warnings happening. Um, yeah, a lot of problems that you do not want to have.
1: Number one engine replaced a number of times, and on the 25th of May 1994, a serious incident occurred which indicated the imminent failure of number two engine. Exactly This is a complicated story yeah. and, and a lot of this is classified But it doesn't really seem error I mean, no. did, the RA, did the RAF consider it error worthy?
2: Well, against Actually, this Chinook This Mark II Chinook um, Against uh, the advice of the officers In the RAF training centre This was signed off for operational use Now, the officers in the training centre They knew that there were serious problems with this And they did not think it was fit to be used It was even they commented That it wouldn't even train people on this thing It was that unreliable and unsafe so, they knew there were concerns prior to this, and they knew there were concerns after this incident. So, at 1800 hours mm-hmm. on the 2nd of June, in thick fog, it has to be said, mm-hmm. this
1: aircraft ploughs into the Mull of Kintyre, killing everyone on board instantly. It actually, the force of it carries carries most of the aircraft on up the hill. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's obliterated, I mean, further, I think, 180 m- meters yeah. further from massive the crash site. Yeah. So, it's yeah. so a massive impact. Mm-hmm. And everyone. Uh, so, forgive me. But we have to come, I suppose, to... There's a number of elements at this. Mm-hmm. So this led, first of all, to panic amongst the informers. The, of course. They must have been, these people must have been responsible for hundreds of informers.
2: Oh, 100%, yeah. Right across the, the gambit of the Republican and loyalist paramilitaries. In fact, right after the news came about this crash and who exactly was on, on board, Brian Fitzsimmons, who was, as we said, the um, head of REC Special Branch, it turned out that he had actually dealt personally, himself, with many, many senior informers. And they were ringing his office in a panic because they didn't know what was going on. They, were, they didn't know where they stood. They didn't know if their name was on a bit of paper that was flying about in the Mull of Kintyre after this crash. So it sent shockwaves through not only government, but um, informers within paramilitaries.
1: Well, obviously, if the only person who knows you're an informer mm-hmm. has been killed... Mm-hmm. And this person is providing cover for you. Exactly.
2: That leaves you wide open. Wide open. Wide open.
1: Wide open. Now, I remember this story very well. At Mm -hmm. the time, 29 people killed Mm -hmm. 25 people, senior intelligence officers, Mm -hmm. on a Chinook. I mean, it was known as, you know, Mm -hmm. to go the whole way as far as Inverness. I mean, it just it just seemed very strange. Now there was obviously the first the first thing out of the blocks was that somehow the IRA had twigged onto this or had been let known about this, and they somehow well, that's it, yeah. got made their way to the Mull of Kintyre yeah. and brought this down. Yeah. We can we can dismiss that, but that was a big rumor. It.
2: I mean, no, straight away, yeah. I mean, that was you know, there was whispers straight away. It's like, um, would it be possible that the IRA could have done this and? I suppose to a degree, um, if you want to play devil's advocate, it was known that the IRA did have service-to-air missiles, but they've never known to be, take down um, a helicopter like a Chinook um, in this kind of fashion before. So that was quickly dispelled and straight away um, in the hours after the crash. The police were and the uh, security services were quick to come out and try to shut down all conspiracy um, theories. They were said that the evidence right now is this was nothing more than an accident. And I want to put, you know... Uh, nip the bud on any uh, any conspiracies that were going around as well. And then there was some outlandish ones about supersonic weapons that were being used that made it fly off course and all well, sorts of I, things. I, I,
1: I don't think yeah. there has... I, I've never really known many, many air, air crashes. If you go down that rabbit hole... Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, there's always seems to be... Was there a hypersonic US aircraft? There always a, comes this, yeah. A, and it's always a US aircraft. It's it always, always a secret in. one. It's always hypersonic yeah. and it's somehow... That may well have happened, but we can say with near absolute certainty that there was no secret hyper, hypersonic US aircraft in the vicinity of the Mullificentire in, in, in total fog on the day in Christ. I
2: would put my house on it, yeah.
1: Yeah. The other one, of course, which is the most outlandish one, mm-hmm. but it did have traction at the time, mm-hmm. was that, you know, these men held the secrets, the security forces of, of, mm-hmm. of, the, of the British yeah. and that some deep, dark state had decided to, and their side of, of the troubles in this.
2: Yeah, there was some, yeah, there was ideas that there was this deep state, you know, MI8 kind of uh, operation to kind of clean the slate and take out all these uh, top uh, security officials and therefore, you know, you know, dead man tell no tales.
1: But again, obviously the family's involved. Mm would find that theory very deeply offensive. There's very absolutely so. no evidence of that whatsoever. No. Um, uh, and, you know, and to think, if we allow ourselves to think very coldly and clinically about it, I mean, it is it is unlikely. It is very TV. It is very much so, yeah. So, what really happened then? What can we say?
2: Well, to be honest, not a lot. Um,
1: which, 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 in fairness... Mm-hmm. When we can't give people information, and we will talk why we can't give people information in a First. little while, well, that's where that's where people's imagination starts to fill in the gaps. Well, that's
2: it. When you have a vacuum like this, I mean, yeah, that's when the conspiracy theories start. When you can't say anything for a certain, then it seems like um, everything is to play for. So the the, 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 the
1: helicopters crashed into
2: the mm-hmm. Tire. Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, even even the pictures uh, we remember of the time, there was no recognizable helicopter. I mean, and no journalists it was just, said this yeah. was strewn. Over a wide area, a wide area complete yeah. total impact. Yeah, there was an RAF board of inquiry. Uh, it investigated the crash, and what did they say?
2: So there was an RAF board of inquiry, and they gathered all the evidence available. And essentially, the there was two uh, senior RAF officials, uh, vice air marshals, and they had a look at the evidence, and they determined that the two pilots were grossly neg- negligent and essentially they were flying too fast and too low in the conditions which are thick fog and essentially laid the blame at the foot of the pilots. Now this obviously caused a lot of anger, um, especially with, with the families of the pilots and even uh, the, with the families um, of the of the other victims, um, they didn't believe this and they didn't want to heap blame um, on these two pilots.
1: The initial military inquiry couldn't find a definite cause. But two air marshals simply overruled that, seeming to ignore RAF rules in blaming the pilots beyond any doubt whatsoever. There was a widespread feeling, of course, that they were scapegoated, and after a while it, mm-hmm. it, it started to filter out that there was pro- there were problems of this aircraft.
2: Yes, indeed. Um, even, actually, the Ministry of Defence itself uh, was in a legal dispute with the manufacturer of the aircraft over problems with it. Uh, it, known to have accidents beforehand. And then it even came out um, that... Uh, One of the pilots, Richard Cook himself, had raised concerns about this very aircraft prior to getting on it and he actually increased his life insurance in the months prior to the crash because he had fears for his safety, which he relayed to his father on several occasions. And a lot of other um, RAF members, especially ones in the training centre, felt this wasn't airworthy and it was an accident waiting to happen.
1: That's absolutely extraordinary. It is. And I mean, I, I I think that line, for me that blows any conspiracy theory out of the water. Yeah. I mean, that the pilot himself was not confident in this aircraft. Exactly. So you put 25 of your best intelligence officers into it and you fly it, to try and fly it to Scotland in thick fog. I mean, it's, it, 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 it really, really is. It really is incredible. Now, yeah. so the two pilots, uh, flight lieutenants, Jonathan Tapper and Richard Cook, they were accused of gross negligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, it you know, starts to emerge that the pilots had, problems widely felt that they were scapegoated but after a long campaign their names were were cleared in mm-hmm. two thousand and eleven I mean but I wonder were they really cleared
2: well essentially what happened was it turned out as I mentioned before um, the original board of inquiry they had people that, who gathered all the evidence and then it was a conclusion was drawn by two officers but when the families actually got a hold of the report and looked at the underlying evidence there was no evidence that the pilots we were flying too fast and too low fog. There was no evidence of negligence. They, they couldn't say um, for certain what happened at all, but they, couldn't, they definitely couldn't say beyond doubt that the parents were at fault. So essentially the two officers had set, just made up their own conclusions and disregarded the evidence that had been gathered. Now in the years that followed this, there were several um, different inquiries, um, parliamentary inquiries, so on and so forth, which also challenged um, the original conclusions of those two officers. You know, they either, well, essentially they said, look, there's not enough evidence to say beyond reasonable doubt that uh, the pilots were grossly negligent. Um, there isn't enough evidence to say what happened at all in any case.
1: Because there were no flight data recorders or cockpit voice recorders on this kind of aircraft?
2: No. And everything was destroyed. It was just a hunk of metal that was left.
1: They had information on speed and height derived from the position of cockpit dials in the wreckage Mm -hmm. and the condition of the wreckage. Yeah. I'm, again, I'm not an engineer.
2: No. But... Essentially, they were able to lay out kind of a rough flight path and that's about it.
1: It, it does it does seem it does seem very flimsy evidence to to condemn very two so. pilots again we don't know we don't know because we don't have um we don't have the information but i mean uh, we've talked about this aircraft before uh, and and it's various issues so and those those are those are those are part of the problems of, of course and i mean there were issues again with the the chinook mark two helicopters had been fitted with poorly designed fuel control systems Mm -hmm. anyway, Mm -hmm. even if they were in perfect working order, which this one seems not to have been anyway I mean, numerous problems with with its engines but one of the problems that's come up, you know we've been reading across this, is the bureaucracy these files, they they were going to destroy them, which seems Mm -hmm. incredible earmarked for destruction mm-hmm. there's been an intervention when will we get to seeing the files around the Mull of crash?
2: This is a strange one because normally um, files like this can be released under what's known as the 20 or 30 year rule but we won't see the files for the Mull of crash until 2094 that's 100 years after the crash and no reason's been given for this
1: I, I'm just dumbstruck now maybe maybe there could be some argument regarding the, you know, the intelligence and... and,
2: and things of course, like, well, but I mean, there's there ways of redacting certain parts of information, you know, black and white paragraph here and there. But there's no reason why these files should be completely shut um, until 2094, that I can see anyway.
1: Uh, journalists have been written, written, written about this. I mean, there's the, the former Belfast Telegraph uh, reporter David Walmsley. Mm-hmm. He has written about this. There are books around this. There is, there is some interest in this. I do notice there isn't an awful lot of memory here. Mm-hmm. Um, but journalists re- would have been very interested in this case at the time.
2: Oh, very much. I mean, what happened was front page news. It was news for though that ran for for days and days. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, David Walmsley was one of those. It was a young cub reporter at the Belfast Telegraph at the time, and he was sent to the scene, and he wrote a book on this. And every year when the anniversary comes around, it's actually the thirtieth anniversary coming up later this year. Um, it, it's back in the news, um, and it's also been the focus of a new uh, BBC two part documentary as well.
1: Yes, that documentary Chinook. Zulu Delta 576. That's why we're talking about it, obviously. This, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's bringing back in the news. What are the families? What do the families... I know you've been working on this story, mm-hmm. uh, Andrew. What are the families saying?
2: Well, for years and years, um, they've, they've felt that the, the RAF and the Ministry of Defence officials hadn't been playing it straight with them, that there was a cover-up. Um, and they've just been fighting for the truth. Now, finally, in 2011... Um, the original RAF ruling, after following a review of the case, was set aside. Um, and the the pilots were were cleared of wrongdoing, but we still don't know exactly what happened. So there's still a campaign to try and get those files under lock and key until 2094 released. Um, and there's still a lot of yeah, a lot of unanswered questions that the families are still still chasing.
1: It is incredible. We seem no further on, uh, and yet we do. We 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 as we've said, we'll never know exactly. No. Yeah. But for those families, uh, they have to live with the fact that these documents are under lock and key until well after
2: everyone. Of course, it just seems like the final insult. Well, yes,
1: yeah. everyone everyone alive in, two, in 2094, none of them will even have been alive at the same time. You know, it, we will all have passed on. So I find that incredible. So, um, Andrew Madden, I'm sure you'll be working on this in the future and trying to dig down mm-hmm. deeper into this story it is extraordinary given how big a story it was at the time it and is. how large the the um, loss of life was and the major questions which remain on it that this story isn't better known but here we are, we've made a podcast
2: Here we are, here we are, yes, um, even after all these years, um, it's still a fascinating and devastating uh, chapter um, not just in the troubles but on the wider scheme of things, um, in terms of government secrecy, in terms of you know cover ups, and it's something that will continue to hold a fascination to many people. If you don't want
1: conspiracy theories, don't cover up.
2: That's it. Andrew Madden, thank you very much. Thank you.
1: This episode of The Bell Tell was produced by myself, along with Graham Davidson and Olivia Peden. The clips you heard were from the BBC, UTV, and Sky.